It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. While Democrats unify over the planetary threat posed by climate change, 11 Republican state senators in Oregon were believed to be hiding out in Idaho with the assistance of right-wing militias to avoid voting on a measure limiting greenhouse gas emissions. While Democrats unify over the need to provide health care to undocumented immigrants dying at our border, Trump announces plan to have immigration and customs enforcement agents round up, arrest, and deport millions of undocumented immigrants. While Democrats advance the rights of women, children, and minorities, child sexual predator Roy Moore announces another run for the Senate for the Republican Party. While Democrats discuss which international relationship that Trump has destroyed is most in need of resetting, Trump announces a new round of sanctions against Ayatollah Khomeini, who died in 1989. Maybe somebody can get Fred Douglas to deliver the news to Trump. While Democrats debate economic justice, Trump bestows the Presidential Medal of Freedom on Arthur Laffer, the hero of the rich because his never serious and utterly discredited, especially by those who were propounding them economic theories, seek to provide cover for the ultra-wealthy in getting more and more and more. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio, part two of our post-democratic debate coverage and analysis. I'm David Leventhal. Thank you for joining us. On today's show, I'm going to be looking at the questions that were posed of the Democratic candidates, and I will be providing my own answers, the answers that I think are most appropriate answers to the questions that were posed. In some cases, the Democrats, in fact, did a pretty good job of giving answers that sounded a lot like them. In many cases, I don't think they did a great job. In a lot of cases, the Democrats simply were not in a position to be able to give the honest answers that I am giving because, well, I'm not running for anything, so I can afford to offend people. Also, in the spirit of the evening, I'll actually try to keep my answers to a minute or less, and most of the time, I'll actually be able to do that. Some of my discussions will be a little more complicated and I will be breaking the debate format and giving you a, uh, a more thorough response. You could just imagine people interrupting me while I'm speaking going, uh, uh, Mr. Leventhal, Mr. Leventhal, your time is up. Mr. Leventhal, we need to move on. But, uh, uh, but for most, I'm actually going to be able to keep it pretty close to a minute. Well, so let's get right into it, starting with the number one question, the, the thing that started it all off. Asked of Elizabeth Warren. 71% of Americans say the economy is doing well, including 60% of Democrats. What do you say to those who worry that this kind, the kind of significant change that you are proposing, in fact, could be risky to the economy? Well, here's my response. We have beaten people into submission in this country because the serfs may like their lords or some of the slaves might like their masters does not mean the system is working or is one that should be perpetuated. And that is akin to what we have right now. We have simply gutted the expectations of the average American. We have beaten them into submission and consigned them to resignation about how little 
they can actually hope for in life and how little they should be satisfied with. Over the past 30 years, the wealth of the top 1% in this country has gone up $21 trillion. Over that same period, the wealth of the bottom 50% has gone down by $900 billion. This is not a system that, that is working for people, regardless of what they think. Also, what people think about their current situation is only part of the test at how well an economy is doing. Because your economy is not just for satisfaction today, it is an investment in your future. And in America, we have failed to invest in our future to the extent that people are feeling more comfortable than they probably should be. It is because we have been stealing from the future to pay for our lifestyles now. That is not sustainable. It is not sustainable if you fail to invest in your education system, in your roads, your infrastructure, in keeping your company afloat. We have the sort of Damocles hanging over our heads, and we cannot survive in the future if we stop investing in our future. In that light, Donald Trump this week bestowed the Presidential Medal of Freedom on Arthur Laffer, the man who, as much as anybody, has given a rationale for Republicans to sacrifice our future to further enrich already rich people today. Okay, next question. And this is several questions I'm going to do. And one, of course, there were several questions on taxes. Generally posed, of course, in the form of gotcha questions, as most of it was. We have the question posed of Beto O'Rourke. Do you support a 70% top tax rate? And a similar type of question in the, was also posed of Bernie Sanders about paying for Medicare for all. How do you propose to pay for your Medicare for all proposals? Well, here's the way to address the tax questions. The number, the top number, is less important than the concept of tax fairness. And right now, the, the elite in this country, the fabulously wealthy, are not paying anywhere near their fair share. 70% sounds like a high number. It was, however, the low end of the spectrum for over three decades in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. A lot of that time, the period that the Republicans argue was when America was great. 70% was on the low end of the top rate during that period when America was growing its economy and creating a middle class. Personally, I'd prefer to go much closer to the top tax rate during that period of 90% or 91% which I think would be more fair. But in any event, the point is that taxes on the rich need to go up to sustain an economy for everybody else and to provide opportunity for everybody else. If you are fabulously wealthy in this country, congratulations to you. Congratulations to all of you with lots of money. Some of you have gotten there by providing popular products to people, having great ideas, or being among the best in your field at what you do. Congratulations. On the other hand, many of you are rich because you were born rich. Many of you are rich because, well, your focus is on money when many of your fellow citizens are focused on other things like helping people and enrichment in life. If you're rich, you've probably gone into a field that allows you to make rich people richer because rich people can pay your bills or to somehow make rich people's lives better for the same reason. 
Most of you who have gotten fabulously wealthy are leeches of one sort of another. Not necessarily in a bad way. There is a use for leeches. But many of you have figured out a way to privatize public resources to profit yourself off of the products of everybody else. Many of you have figured out how to appropriate the work of others. Maybe you're in the Walmart family and you've gotten fabulously rich while your workers subsist on public allowance. As Eugene Debs famously said, riches are the savings of many in the hands of one. And for many of you, let's be honest, you've gotten rich because, well, you're just shit. You're not burdened by ethics or any kind of moral restraints that the rest of us may be under when it comes to making as much money as you can at whatever it is you are doing. You might, for instance, be a member of the Trump family or the Trump administration. When Bernie was asked the question about how are you going to pay for Medicare, it was a disingenuous question. As Bernie tried to point out, overall, people are paying for health care right now. The difference w- between making government, uh, much of our health care government supported is that it's basically going to take money from your left pocket, put it into your right pocket, and then take some of it out. That's what Bernie's plan is. I will put money into your pocket, and then I will take some of it back out. We are, yes, taxes are going to go up. On the other hand, so are salaries and all the other ways that you are paying for health insurance, which you will no longer be paying for. The problem, of course, in America is talking about taxes at all. Nobody on the Democratic stage, including Sanders, wanted to answer that question and just say, yeah, your freaking taxes are going to have to go up, but you're going to get way more than your money's worth because our health care system will become more efficient, among other things. But we can't talk about taxes in America because, after all, how much faith can you show in the American public? An American public that has showed historically that any presidential candidate who mentions raising taxes, no matter who it's on, is not a successful presidential candidate. I note, as I talk about the answer to this question, maybe things have changed, I note the current movement among the ultra-wealthy in this country, including a a letter that's signed by many of the richest people in the country, and an op-ed in the New York Times recently by Eli Broad, a rich person in California, a name I recognize from when I lived in California. He was on a lot of real estate. But there is a movement among the ultra-wealthy to raise their taxes. Maybe Elizabeth Warren and others are actually onto something. A related question, by the way, the New York Times posed a series of questions to the presidential candidates, and I'd like to address one of them right now in the context of this tax discussion. The New York Times asked a question of all the candidates, does anyone deserve to have a billion dollars? Here's my answer. I'll see if I can get this into a minute or less. No. Are you fucking kidding me? Nobody deserves to have a billion dollars. Period. The end. Nobody deserves that much power. Nobody deserves to figure out how society is going to be run with all that kind of money. Nobody is that special. So no, nobody deserves to have a billion dollars. What is sort of remarkable is I don't think a single candidate answered any version of that when posed what I think is a ridiculously easy question. How about this response to that question? How about if we just have a rule that nobody should have wealth 
that is as much as a billion times more than the least wealthy in our society. Because that would prevent people from having anywhere close to a billion dollars. Questions, several questions about health care. Also, kind of disingenuous questions. But asked, would you give up your private plan for the government plan? And only three, I think, of the 20 candidates over the two nights raised their hands and said that, yes, they would be willing to give up their private plan for a Medicare for all type program. The idea, of course, being let's stick with what's working. Posed in the questions was people are happy with their health care. Well, I guess people are happy with their economy, too. We still have the most inefficient health care system in the world, the United States. We have middling health care outcomes and we pay on average, twice what the rest of the world pays. More than that compared to most uh, universal healthcare uh, single-payer countries around the world. We are ridiculously inefficient. Our outcomes aren't good. What we are doing is we are turning people who work in the healthcare industry and whose job it is to deny people healthcare, we are turning them into billionaires. This is not a system that we should be working with. Some of us do have health care that we're happy with, again, perhaps because of the fear of the unknown, because study after study shows that it is Americans, such as me, for instance, who are most likely in the world to forego going to make an appointment to see a doctor when they're not feeling well because of how long it will take to get an appointment. We also have a bit of a problem with the I got mine, Jack, here. Some people have really nice health care plans. That's wonderful, and they are perfectly happy with the fact that their health care plans and the fact that they don't have to wait as long as they do are the product of the fact that other people denied health care and are going to be asked to die when they get sick. That is simply not appropriate. My positive health care, if I have it, should not come at the expense of my fellow citizens. Again, with these questions, too much focus on division because the agreement of the people on the stage was amazing. Every one of them was against the basic concept that wealthy insurance companies should be deciding how our health care system is run. And let's take that as the answer to the question about what would you do with health care. My first answer would be I would no longer let insurance companies determine how our health care system works. They care about nothing but their profits, as several Democrats pointed out. And they are basically shit. And they should not be deciding how our healthcare system works so they could get richer while people around us die. And, and Democrats should be framing the debate as, do you support insurance companies running our healthcare system or do you support America running our healthcare system? Remarkable, as I pointed out in part one briefly, remarkable that when asked in the second debate if the undocumented in this country should have healthcare, every single hand went up. I think that's wonderful. I explained last time the reasons for that. One, that we're not dicks. And two, that it is in our interests for everybody in this country to be able to see a doctor. It makes us all healthier and it makes us all more successful. And these people are part of our economy and our economy will work better as a result. Maybe those hands going up were inspired in part by all of the people who have been recently shown to have died at our border or in our custody, including that remarkably tragic picture of the man and his something like 18, 15 month old daughter drowned dead in the river. We need to do better than this as a country. 
I'm remark when I think about this, I think back to what I love to talk about in my classes. I think I've talked about on this show once or twice. When Barack Obama, remember, remember a few years ago, there was an Ebola outbreak in Africa. There's another one now, but remember the, the last one, which was, seemed to be more problematic than we have now. And two of the bravest people on the planet, two people who will not get rich because they've decided to take what they can offer to the world and actually offer it to the world and not get rich off of it. But two people in America, healthcare workers, ran to Africa to help save lives, putting their own lives at risk to save people's lives, not get rich. And two of them contracted Ebola. And the President of the United States allowed these brave, true humanitarians, these great people, to come back to America to be treated in a hospital. Republicans went ballistic. You are bringing, aid. You are bringing Ebola to America. How dare you? Well, the coda to the story was that these two people both got better. Nobody else got sick. Nobody else contracted Ebola. We managed to keep them isolated and do it right. But what is the Republican plan to combat Ebola? Apparently not provide health insurance coverage to people so that when they get sick, they're expected to go to work. That is also consistent, by the way, with their family leave policies, which are not to have any family leave policies. So if you are sick, if you are seeing the symptoms of Ebola, what should you do? Go to work. That's the Republican plan. Both nights, they asked about working with Republicans. At night one, they said, how will you work with Mitch McConnell? How will you be able to work with Republicans? This is an important question. And here's how I answer it. I will not work with Republicans. They are welcome to work with us. We will be advancing our agenda. We have tried over the entire course of my lifetime, we have had a succession of Democratic presidents reach out to Republicans to try to forge bipartisan compromise for the sake of this country, and we have repeatedly been rebuffed by a Republican Party that knows nothing except its own success, its own power, and couldn't give a shit about this country. A Republican Party led by Mitch McConnell, who is worst among all of them, who is perfectly happy to see the baby cut in half, as long as they are not slighted in which half they get. Well, in fact, they're not happy with half. They only want the whole baby, to be fair to Republicans. I will not work with them. I will beat them. And what needs to happen in this country is that the rule of law needs to matter. Criminals need to not win. Republicans cannot continue to get rewarded for their refusing to play by the rules of this country and by decent democratic governance. I will not work with them. I will beat them. I will do everything I can within my power to advance legislation or executive policy that, re that will make Republicans have sleepless nights for the entirety of my presidency. Good. Fuck you. Joe Biden at one point in answering this question was said, sometimes you work with the other side and sometimes you have to beat them. Good for him. The fact is, over the last 30 years, the time for beating them is now. The time for working with them hasn't been seen for a very long time. What else, by the way? During the Trump administration, Republicans controlling the Senate, we are seeing the politicization of investigations of criminal law in this country, and that is awful. And we will not do that, but we will tell you what we will do. We will investigate corruption in every aspect of our government, whether it is from the left or whether it is from the right, whether it is from Democrats or whether it is from Republicans. And we will go investigate you and we will find you and we will indict you and we will 
throw you in prison if we can. It will not be partisan because it will be everybody, but it will be partisan because we all know who the crooks are. In the second debate, by the way, in this same general theme, there was lots more about Trump, which I didn't like. Debate shouldn't be about Trump. It should be about what Democrats are offering to the American public. But of course, it came up a lot in the second debate because Joe Biden, his electoral strategy, obviously, is to make it a fait accompli that it is Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And so he, in his first question, his first answer, three times, I think, in his first sentence, he, he used the word Donald Trump or the word Trump's Trump. So uh, that started the whole ball rolling. I don't know, maybe polls after the first debate showed that people wanted more of an attack against Donald Trump. So they all followed suit and attacked Donald Trump. But I don't like the focus being on who can beat Donald Trump because God help us that we're in a position that we actually have to make a case for beating Donald Trump. If that's where we are, this country has no future. I want a candidate to say we had better all be able to beat him. Everybody on this stage should had better, for the sake of this country, be able to beat Donald Trump and beat him badly. But here's why I think it should be me. Here's why I stand out among my opponents. That's the answer I would like to have seen from all of the Democrats. Nobody did that. Biden, in his finale, talked about Trump ripping out our soul. That's a big line of his. The problem with that, of course, is Trump is not a, is not causing the ripping out of our soul. Trump is the result of the fact that the Republican Party ripped out our soul years and years and years ago. Donald Trump did not create Mitch McConnell. Donald Trump did not create Paul Ryan. Donald Trump did not create Newt Gingrich. Donald Trump did not create Dick Cheney. Donald Trump did not create George Bush the Younger, let alone George Bush the Senior, who let's not forget, going back to what was seen as the decent Republican president, the okay guy, the guy who gave us Roger Ailes and Lee Atwater and divisive politics. And Ronald Reagan? This is not new. Donald Trump did not rip out our soul. Donald Trump is what happens when your soul has been ripped out by Republican politics. They were asked, the both nights of the debate, what your priorities would be. It's kind of a ridiculous question, by the way. What would you do on day one? Who gives a shit? What, you, what would you do on day one through 100 or... 12, 1400, whatever the heck the first term is. But in this one, Pete Buttigieg, I think, got it right. We need to fix government first. Whatever that entails, we need to fix government first because nothing else happens in this country unless we have functioning government. One of the questions related to the dealing with Republicans was how do you protect government institutions given Donald Trump's longtime assault on governing institutions in this country. And the answer to that is, well, this is going to be kind of a longer one. First of all, you pass laws to strengthen government institutions because if Donald Trump gets reelected in 2020, they are all going to fall. They may, many of them are falling already, but they will all be gone and it will be the end of America as we know it if Donald Trump gets reelected in 2020. So if I'm put in presidency, I pass laws to strengthen our government institutions. I will enforce the Hatch Act. Sorry, Kellyanne Conway. 
we will enforce the emoluments clause. There will be real teeth to these laws that Republicans are violating with a sneer. All the self-dealing that's been going on in our government, there will be laws against that and people will be frog-marched into jail if they do that. We will fix our courts and we will make irrelevant to the extent that we can the fact that our courts have been hijacked by Republicans and our court system is now completely regressive and against the interests of a majority of Americans. We will amend Title VII to make sure that it covers the rights of homosexuals in the LGBTQ community. We will federalize Roe v. Wade. We will do what we can with executive orders. And when we finally own the Senate, we will pass laws that will shore up our government institutions. We will fix democracy for good as Republicans try to take down what's left of it. We will pass a new Voting Rights Act that will tell the Supreme Court we really mean what we mean this time, Justice Chief Justice Roberts, and we do want black people to have the same voting rights as white people in America. We will require accountability across our government. We will make it clear that you can indeed indict a sitting president who has committed crimes. We will require accountability to the voters. We will pass campaign finance reform. And at least we will make it transparent who is buying our elections and we will make an issue of it. We will end gerrymandering. Fuck you, United States Supreme Court. But we will allow voters once again to pick their representatives and we will stop representatives from choosing their voters to destroy any semblance of voting in this country. And in order to help do that, by the way, until we can do that, we will say to all the reasonable Democratic states who have been reaching out for bipartisan electoral commissions, stop. If the other side is going to cheat, you're going to cheat too until we get rid of the cheating. Because otherwise, good people just continue to lose and we continue to race to the bottom. How corrupt is the United States Supreme Court? We're going to show that. We're going to look at how they're paid. We're going to look at how much money Clarence Thomas's family makes being paid by right-wing institutions whose interests he's advancing through his decisions. We're going to look at his wife and how much money she is making. We're going to look at how much he is paid to give speeches by conservative organizations whose interests he is advancing by destroying United States law and the United States Constitution. And we will build criminal cases and we will, yes, consider the possibility of impeaching Supreme Court and federal judges where it is appropriate. Will this tend to split this country apart? Perhaps, because Republicans have been trying to do that for a long time and Democrats need to stop capitulating. At least it will be equal. Both sides will be doing everything they can just to advance their own interests and maybe some good will ultimately come of that. Some sanity will emerge. The candidates were all asked, what is the first relationship that you go to reset in the world, given that Donald Trump has been ripping apart all these relationships? Well, the obvious answer, of course, is we need to reset our relationship with our allies. We need to, and, and most of the Democrats got that, uh, we need to reset these relationships because without allies, without concerted action among the Western powers and people who want to advance democracy, freedom, and all those other wonderful things that we used to want to advance in this country, we cannot do anything. And that includes support for international governing institutions such as the United Nations and, yes, NATO, which are important to world stability. Guns came up in both debates. And, of course, 
divisive questions on there. And I think the answer to what do you do about guns? Should we ban handguns or that sort? Can we please focus on the low-hanging fruit? Why don't we focus on doing what the vast majority of this country believes in with respect to this country, which is passing sensible gun laws? Biden actually brought something up, made a good point, which nobody, I think, has, seen, has spoke focused on, which is that we should be having smart guns so that only the owner of the gun can use them. Cory Booker talked about gun registration. Perfect sense. Background checks, obviously, for the purchase of all firearms. People on the terrorist watch list, can we agree that they shouldn't be able to get guns? How about child safety locks on guns? How about gun IDs so that we know guns leave a a distinct fingerprint where we could know what bullets came from and all guns should be tested for that so we know which guns fired which bullets? How about banning cop killer bullets and weapons of war? Let's at least point out that the NRA is a joke and their absolutist position that no gun restrictions is appropriate ultimately leads to the fact that Americans living near commercial airports should be able to have shoulder fired, fired missiles. And clearly, we shouldn't be doing that. And so let's pass the sensible laws that we agree with before we start dividing ourselves over whether we should stop people from having handguns. That leads us to Mayor Pete's question regarding the police shooting recently. And I want to just want to take a couple of minutes on this because this is obviously a real problem for him. And I, I'm not real familiar with what he did in South Bend as far as addressing police misconduct and police shootings. But I want to point out that this is a nationwide problem. Just this week, it, it was pointed out that 72 Philadelphia police officers were put on administrative leave, leave for posting racist or offensive material on social media. This is in Philadelphia. And unfortunately, Mayor Pete can't give the answer that he needs to give, which is what all Americans need to see, which is the police, frankly, have too much power in this country. They have too much power and they believe that they are above the law in too many parts of this country. When police are honest and do their job, we all respect the police, love the police and thank them for what they do. But if you believe that you are above the law, it leads to bad behavior. That is true all across this country. I love unions and I think unions need to get stronger. The irony here is that Republicans want to destroy unions. But what is the one union or one of two unions that they do not want to destroy or do they do not want to hinder? Certainly one union that is the one union that has way too much power in this country, and that is the police unions, and they need to have less powers. The police work for us. We do not work for them, and I don't know how the hell you convince Americans that we need to rein in the police. Good luck anybody answering questions like that. The New York Times asked a question. I'm going to do these real briefly now. Are you open to expanding the size of the Supreme Court? Correct answer. Yes, Republicans can't keep losing Democratic votes for President of the United States. They have lost six out of the last seven. They do not have a lock on the United States Supreme Court, period, the end. The Supreme Court should reflect who wins Democratic elections. Yes, I will expand, this, expand the size of the Supreme Court. Fuck you, John Roberts. Fuck you, Kavanaugh. Fuck you, Gorsuch. Fuck you, Alito. And fuck you, Thomas. Um, immigration. Wonderful to see Democrats all supporting remarkably progressive immigration, including, of course, DACA, everyone on the stage. It was nice to see on night on night two that nine out of 10 hands went up to support Julian Castro's decriminalization plan. Should immigration be decriminalized? Should illegal immigration be decriminalized? Yes, illegal immigration should be decriminalized. Am I soft on crime? Well, let me just say, I support the death penalty for people who don't use their signal while driving a car. 
All right. So we'll even that out. Um, on abortion, they all properly support a woman's right to choose. I don't think it was made clear to people that they support Roe v. Wade because Roe v. Wade, in fact, was the compromise on abortion. Roe was the compromise position. Do you believe in unfettered abortion? I don't think anybody believes in unfettered abortion. Nobody believes in taking out a child that is viable and a week away from, from the due date uh, unless there are serious medical abnormalities. Nobody believes that. That's why Roe was the compromise position, and they should all underline their support for Roe v. Wade and its compromise on abortion. But the best line on that subject, and this shouldn't get lost, was Pete Buttigieg, subtle, you don't get to invoke God if you think he supports ripping children out of the arms of their parents at the border. A subtle uh, F you to the so-called religious uh, opponents of choice in this country. Um, on climate, there was too much gotcha here, including the question asked of Hickenlooper. Uh, you, you said that you would be willing to work with oil companies and oil and gas companies. Well, duh, the response here is, yeah, we need to reduce the use of fossil fuels. Unless people on this stage, I don't think anybody on the stage says right now, no more oil and gas, then obviously we're going to have to include them into the process. They will be included in the process. They will, unlike today, not be running the process. We will be running the process of addressing climate change. This is an existential threat to the planet, to humanity on the planet. And yes, we need to treat it as such. They all they all agreed with that. What are the specifics? We'll get into different specific plans and let's have that debate. But let's be clear right now. The distinction is not within the people on this stage. The distinction is between the people on this stage who believe in this existential threat and want to do something about it and the other political party in America that wants to just profit off of it for as long as they possibly can. And the single most crucial question of either night that has been completely under underreported and which all of the candidates got wrong. Who is your hero? Obvious answer? Stephen Colbert. Because ah, you could throw in John Stewart, John Oliver, Samantha B, people like that. But the bottom line is, if there's any hope in this country, I'm not even being facetious here right now. If there is any hope for this country, it is for these people in America who are managing to make people reach out and get informed and make better decisions because they make it entertaining and they make it funny. And that maybe is the only antidote we have to Fox News and its ilk and the ignorance which afflicts our society. Anyway, that's my takeaway on the big issues that were raised during the debate and the questions. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal.